This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. The podcast is going to launch its own cryptocurrency. Yes, that's right. Full Bucks is coming to a shop near you. Not, not really. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How Mate, are you? This, I'm very, very well. This is Crypto 2.0. Coming down the pops. Looks like you know we're going to have full bucks and full bucks, uh, zuck bucks, zuck bucks, maybe uh, triple M bucks. I like that. Yeah, I'm trying to wait to the ends of the three money something something. Yeah, money. triple M It'll sounds work. like money, 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 right? There you go, money cube. We will we will tell our, our paymasters at triple M that's what they should do. We'll take a small portion of the cut. I reckon what zero point one percent of a multi trillion dollar currency that that is buy us an island. That'd be fine. Should we get off this tangent and get back to the podcast? Yeah. All right. This week on the podcast, we will be talking about another rate cut. Are we going to see one coming down the pike? Pretty likely. Also, Australian small businesses. This is, and our doc put this list together, so you won't be surprised to know there's a bit of, a little bit of, you know, pessimism here. Come Australian on. businesses going to the wall is the, is the sentence he's given me to say. We're also going to talk about Westpac stoking the property fire for at least 24 hours and a possible China slowdown. And yes, of course, we'll talk about those. Zuck Bucks, Cryptocurrency 2.0. And if we have time in a very full episode, we'll get to the best part of our day, the best part of our week, your questions in the Motley Fool mailbag. Let's get to it. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, Doc, you've put the top of my agenda here, the things you've made me read out. So he feels, you might think I host this podcast. I don't really. I just do what Doc tells me to do. So we're going to talk about another rate cut. Now, there's a very good possibility that Governor Philip Lowe and maybe even US Fed Chair Jerome Powell are going to be pushing the big down arrow on interest rates. Looks like that. Um, well, everybody's worried about growth, uh, lack of uh, wage growth, and um, in Australia, at least, driving unemployment numbers down. And um, yeah, so I think that's the uh, I think the sentiment here, belief is that um, the economy is perhaps not as strong as we would like mm. it to be. And if it's not as strong as we like it to be, then we want to stoke a little, you know, put some fire and <laughs> put some gas into the engine, <laughs> try to get it to rev up. And it kind uh, of feels like the story, right? Like I'm an optimist by nature, as I've told our listeners many, many times. I will still be optimistic the day before we hit recession mm-hmm. and all the way through and on the back on the way back out. I still think that's the smartest thing for an investor to do. But even even me, the Uber optimist, it, it, it does kind of feel like there's a few bells ringing around the place. It, that it does. I mean, I mean, it's a bit of a contradiction around. So, I mean, in, in the U.S., for example, the unemployment numbers are pretty low. Like, you know, yes. they're like below 4%. I mean, how much lower can it really get? Like Four percentage points? Yeah, you did pass. But I mean, you know, it gets increasingly harder right, when, you, when right. you're at that level, right? And we're at like 5.2, so it's not, yep. not miles apart, but, you know, uh, higher than that. But uh, it, it, that's the thing, I, I know I bang on about this. This is the lowest unemployment rate in Australian history, effectively. Like it's been 4.9 for a bit, but effectively the lowest, almost, I want, well, certainly since the 70s, probably since... I mean, post-World War II, it was really, really low. But kind of in the last 40, 50 years, this is about as low as it gets. And there is some sort of disconnect between the official numbers and, and kind of the broad 
A, the way the, econ- the vibe, the way the economy is feeling, but also, too, the, the, the concerns that people are having around who's spending, who's investing, who's doing what. Exactly. And, and, and like as we'll talk soon, um, the, I think the biggest worry here is that, you know, people are not spending and, uh, you know, retail, for example, is doing it hard. If, if that's the case, and, and I think there's this case that, you know, there are people who want uh, more hours to work yeah. that are not getting those hours. Right. And the question is, why aren't they not getting those hours? Right. Mm-hmm. So that is, there isn't that much demand for those workers. Why is there not demand, uh, enough demand for those workers? Right. Uh, I think maybe one of the things to remember is that and this, I was thinking about this and yeah, I'm completely making this up on, on the go. Ah, so, right. so, so what I do, man, that's my stock in trade. What's <laughs> so, in my world? So I was thinking like, you know, maybe go back 20 years. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of households did not need. Um, two people working, right? Yeah. Uh, or did not have two people working. Now, whatever it was, either was because that was the, how the society functioned at that time. That was how mm-hmm. the um, maybe people were making enough at that time, and so on and so forth. But now there is, I think, a need for people. Like a, a maybe a want, and yeah. combined with the need yeah. that you know you need a double income family to kind of support your. Uh, uh, consumer discretionary so, needs. So right? this is the craziest thing in the world. I, I, massive tangent here. I am all for equality and feminism and, and empowerment of all people, women, minorities, the whole lot, right? So this this is really, really important. The, the, the ability, the possibility, the support for women to work is is should absolutely be paramount. The irony of the movement that created or that allowed that, and we still got some way to go in equality stakes, but the movement that allowed that basically put a second income into households which meant that when we went to an auction, we could all afford to pay a bit more for houses. So we kind of took that that second rather than as a society, we kind of go, "Hey, women should be able to work too." So in a in a given household, should it be women or, or, or the man, or should it be one of each, or both part time, or both together? Those kind of kind of kind of social questions were hijacked really really fast by the fact that in an auction market, which even if you're not literally having an auction for your house, every house price is set based on how much the market will pay. As soon as some households had two incomes. You could push up the price of the most affordable houses. So the people who didn't get them went to the next one. And we kind of created this stupid scenario where we went from, hey, maybe it would be good if women could work to actually now everybody needs to work. And I get that on an economic level, that kind of makes sense. But it's, it's a pretty nice confidence trick we played on ourselves, isn't it? It is, yeah. And and again, you know, we, we, it's, the economy works in such an equilibrium, nice equilibrium that, you know, when the equilibrium gets slightly <laughs> right, disturbed, right? right? Uh, we hit sort of, you know, uh, you know, because the way we sort of run the economy, right? We want people to spend their money, uh, you know, yeah, so yeah. It, and we, if we want people to spend most of their money, then, you know, if something happens, then they don't have enough money and therefore they're not spending enough money. And then, we, you know, we can get into this very, very quick, quickly into the cycle yeah, of yeah. Uh, um, of people holding back, which is what I think is happening right now. And that's the irony, right? So we're all seeing a possible economic problem down the pike and the problem will be exacerbated. Maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy if we all stop spending, yet we all stop spending because we think there might be a problem coming down the pike. It's one of those confidence problems of when we all feel like it's a problem, no one spends. We actually create the problem we're ironically trying to avoid or at least we're nervous might actually come to fall. Yeah, and and then the final, I think for the RBN, maybe this this again needs a, I think we've talked about this before, is that, you know, the wage inflation, right? So wages Mm. are not really going up. Yep. And um, RBA wants the wages to go up, but the wages are not going up. And because the wages are not going up, people are, or at least the theory is that people are not spending. Right. Uh, and, 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 and around and around we go. And around and around we go, right? So all of these things are basically, you know, cut the rates so that hopefully businesses will spend more. Maybe they'll borrow more. They will maybe right. be more inventive and put more people to work. That will hopefully drive, uh, you know, wage growth. <laughs> Put me on record on uh, on the what is it twenty second today twenty second of twenty first twenty first of June two thousand and nineteen as being very very worried that longer rates are lower 
the more significant, the, the scarier, the more painful the reckoning is going to be when it arrives. I'm going to agree with you on that one. I must be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, 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 we hope that you're wrong because that's the that's actually well, the that's best wrong. that's the best case out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I mean, someone mentioned on Twitter this morning, Trumponomics, the the whole idea of you know just just flooding the market with liquidity. U.S. rates might be falling as well. That's going to keep the party going, right? And at some point, we all want the party to keep going. But that that 18th beer at at you know 2:30 in the morning, that's probably the beer you can afford not to have. Yeah, you might miss out on some of the fun of the party, but tomorrow morning is going to be a whole lot nicer if you cut back on the beers early, right? And that's a, a relatively uh, inelegant analogy as to what can happen to an economy if we do keep the good times going too long. They feel great at the time. We think we're avoiding the pain, but we're potentially setting ourselves up for something worse. Yeah, I'm not going to put more more wet, wet blanket on this. So I'm going to I'm going to hold back uh, my further commentary. So we were going to talk about small business going to the wall, mate. I kind of feel like to your point about pessimism, we've probably done that job right. But the, yeah. the headline there was just that um, in the event of or the reality that people aren't spending as much, there is some sense that there's a rising number of either bankruptcies or simply businesses closing down. Yeah. So so this was an ABC report that basically said uh, said that. Um, um, debt collectors are, uh, you know, the one industry that's thriving is debt, debt <laughs> oh, collection. Oh, <laughs> so, um, Don't tell us about that. All right. And uh, yes, yeah, so the small businesses are, are having it uh, tough and some of them are closing. And, you know, maybe that's got something to do with the financial year. It's better to close at the, at the end of the financial year than roll over to the next oh. financial year. Uh, and that's driving uh, the demand. Uh, retail is particularly hurting is, um, is, is one of the sectors, right? So uh, again, I think it, we've covered this, so uh, let's not uh, push this further and make this a really sad uh, uh, episode. Let's talk about something that was wonderful for almost 24 hours until it wasn't. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, Westpac, God love them. Our banks have the uh, the most wonderful knack of finding trouble Um Almost almost without trying, although maybe there's some people trying really hard. I'm not entirely sure. Westpac yesterday morning was reported to have already implemented. We talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about the reduction in the buffer that the, the RBA requires or ASIC requires. So you want to explain what the buffer means? Right? Sure. So effectively, when you take out a loan, the bank has been up until now, and we'll get into what's changed or not changed, up until now has been required to assess your loan at a given arbitrary interest rate rather than a buffer on top of the rate you would otherwise be paying. So effectively, they were told 7 7%, right. I think, so or 7%. Or 7 I think. Could, the question was, could you pay back your loan if rates hit 7%? Now, rates have been so far below 7 for so long that many people have been talking about maybe that's not the right buffer. We all believe buffers are important because we don't want to put unnecessary yeah. stress on the economy. But hey, what about something lower than that that reflects a premium on the current rate? So if rates go up, you want to make sure you can pay it back, and the bank should make sure you can pay it back. But Arbitrary 7 didn't feel exactly right. ASIC, I think it was, came out a month or so ago and said, hey, we think this is probably not the right way. We'll probably look at reducing it. And that was all good. Westpac yesterday morning said, yeah, yeah, we're going to reduce it. We've done it. Yes, we fixed it. <laughs> and, then by, and then by some point yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, uh, hastily beat a retreat when ASIC knocked on the door and said, So not oh, ASIC, right, Captain? Was it? Or was it? ARPRA. Right. Was that Apra? Sorry, Apra. Yeah. Apra came out and said, ah, no, 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 no. Not yet, guys. Not yet. Mm. So for, for, for some period of time, some short period of time, uh, Westpac had lower lending standards. Now they're back to where they were just a day ago. They didn't. I, I'm, I'm thinking they made not a single loan at that <laughs> reduced. Well, someone got lucky. There was, for, for, Assuming somebody squeezed through <laughs> that. Right. So, so the rule, I think, it, or the ARPA rule or, or whatever ARPA required of the big banks mm, mm. was, I think, seven percent. That's right. Or 
um, the the current borrowing plus two percent, yep. whichever was higher. Yes. yes. Right. Um, so you're right. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, if if you drop that rate by even like one percent, it actually adds quite a bit to it's your huge. borrowing borrowing capacity, right? You know, on an average loan, it could be like something like fifty thousand dollars, right? I, I heard mm-hmm. well, back when it was announced originally that it, it was added about eighteen percent to the borrowing capacity of the average uh, borrower, which you think about that, that's effectively lets you pay 80% more for a house. That's, right. that's a massive, massive difference. Right. So, I mean, you know, for what, what it's worth, I think this is a good idea for them to have this buffer on for a longer period of time because it sort of allows a steady reset um, of, you know, binging habits. Um, and I think that could be actually a good thing. Mm. You know, it allows it allows for a slow reset instead of, you know, uh, the possibility of a hard landing if we, you know, go back to the, the current interest rates plus 2%. Although, you yeah. know, one has to keep in mind that if the rates are going to go further lower, then 7% would be way off <laughs> from where the rates are. This is kind of one of those problems, right? It's... It... Well, I mean, as I, as I said before, I think the biggest problem I have is that if the rates keep going down... Mm-hmm. And we hit a recession, like that is going to really be bad. Right? Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, I think that's the biggest problem in my mind is that, you know, with the rates where they are. Um, so, so I like the buffer actually being there because it, it, it maybe acts as some amount of, uh, uh, we don't stoke the fire further, I guess. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The, it frustrates me. I'm glad I'm not a regulator. But I have to say <laughs> that, that some of these changes should have been made Three years ago, when the when the when the house boom was in full swing, if you're going, if you're going to change the way you modify the restraints on the economy, you want to do it at a time when it makes most sense. And I, I just don't know that it's like house prices are cheap, right? It's not like the, the APRA's gone. Hey, house prices are too cheap. We want to push prices up a little bit. Yeah, adding borrowing capacity to people now, it just. I mean, I I get intellectually why you'd say, hey, seven percent seems funny and it's silly, and it does. But really, like right now, is this really when you want to say? Housing's not cheap, not 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 expensive enough. We'll, we'll, we'll let people borrow more so they can all bid more. Because again, we talked about with mm. the second income, right? All this does is says everyone now pays more for houses, yeah, because they can. I don't. You've got to, you and I have a slight disagreement on this, but but we agree broadly that you know having more more and more money being tipped into housing, an unproductive asset that you know if I pay half a million dollars for my house or a million dollars for my house, I get the same house. Yeah, adding price inflation to this category just seems nuts to me. Oh, so, so we are agreeing. There's not much of a disagreement there. No, no, we, we disagree on the details, which okay. we, won't, we won't go into now. Yeah, okay. uh, but oh. uh, but broadly, I think that yeah, we, we agree. We're agreeing a lot, mate. This, this is a problem. Am I am I sick or are you sick? I don't know. I, I, I mean, everybody's a little sick. It's it's too cold. <laughs> I think we've gone through the looking glass. We're obviously in some weird kind of wonderland scenario. Here. Yeah. All right, let's see if we can find some disagreement. All right, let's do it. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. If I say Libra, you might think star signs. Some people may think feminine hygiene products. But no, Libra is the new term being given to a brand spanking new cryptocurrency. So we had Bitcoin, we had Ethereum, we had Ripple, we had God knows how many and how much money was torched in the chase for crypto madness, but there's some pretty big backers that mm-hmm. have joined together to kind of not exactly create the cryptocurrency, but create and announce the plan to possibly work together to maybe one day create a cryptocurrency called Libra, uh, technically or, or colloquially known as Zuckbucks, which might give away <laughs> some of the some of the involvement here. Yes, it's Facebook, the, the, the purveyor of uh, 
personal data to crypto, Cambridge Analytica, among other people. Um, Andreessen Horowitz, one of the really, really big, big hitters in the venture capital world in the US, and some others all getting together to form a consortium to bring to life a brand new Facebook crypto. I'm. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not. Even, I'm, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to. I'm not going to try. You. You've. You're, you're the. Uh, you're, <laughs> between the two of us, which isn't hard. You're the tech guy. Um, we could have a Labrador in here, and he'd still be the tech guy compared to me. But you. You, you know these things pretty well. Just kind of try and give us a sense, if you can, in, in in a in a couple of minutes. What is liberal? What are Facebook trying to do? Okay, so uh, I'll try to make it as high level. And, and actually, there's not much detail out Imagine there. Imagine you're trying to explain it to me and help me understand. Yeah. Mate. So, That's so, give so, us so first, first thing, <laughs> the, the details are sketchy at this moment, as you have <laughs> already said. Uh, and that wasn't just me. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's very Facebooky. <laughs> details are always sketchy. Um, but, okay, so Libra, as you said, is a cryptocurrency. It's actually better to think of it as a digital currency, okay? It's a mm. digital currency that is going to be backed by hard assets, which would basically mean a basket of, say, currencies and bonds bonds and things like that, okay? Um, and uh, the the hard assets are essentially people are going to be managed by a consortium mm-hmm. of 23-odd or 24-odd companies, as you said, you know, some of the big backers. So the big backers, they're like, you know, things like MasterCard, Visa, PayPal. Um, That's a fair old group. Yeah, they've got a fair... Here's, here's what's not in that fair... <laughs> or I'll, I'll tell you what's not in that group, yep. okay? Uh, there's no Amazon, there's no Alphabet, there's no Apple. No, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, let's forget. Berkshire Hathaway is an old school business. Uh, so I'm just right. ruling. Oh, uh, see, it, this is beyond Buffett, right? So Buffett's going to say, this is just way too techy for him, right? Yeah, true, true. Um, and there are no banks. <laughs> that's interesting. Okay. So it's a consortium that's formed somewhere in Europe. And um, they are going to essentially provide the digital currency. Yep. And then the first application of this digital currency is a wallet. So the wallet is where you actually change your real money to Zuckbucks, right. right? And that wallet is called Calibre. Right. Okay. So, and this yeah, is- a, up. Yeah. So the, so the Calibre yep. is basically the separate company, right. <laughs> effectively, okay. that allows you to trade in uh, in um, the digital currency. So, right. so, so the idea, if you think about the idea, the idea is actually an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. I, I like the uh, I like I, I like the idea from a, from the point of view of what they're trying to do. Okay, tell us the story. Right. So, think about where you might you know. So the the case being made is that if you wanted to do microtransactions, mm-hmm. it's currently too expensive to do microtransactions today, right? Right. Because of the way the transactions are charged, if I wanted to pay someone ten cents, yep, it, it it's just the the cost over the ten cent is too much. So it's almost back in the day you you couldn't use a an FPOS card for less than ten bucks because they claimed that the fees were too high. But this takes it to an absolute extreme, right? Exactly. Micropayments we don't use a lot of them just yet, but in in, a, in some version of a future world where you could make micropayments of a couple of cents or maybe a buck yeah. for something, um, the, the the fees really are high of, of traditional um, systems, let alone crypto, which isn't even higher because of the computing power required. Am I getting that roughly right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but this is this is not. I wouldn't even call this crypto in the sense that it's basically saying that you can. I'm going to have a digital currency which is basically backed by real assets, right? So therefore, okay. removes the volatility that's there with crypto. So is it is it really a is is it a, so, is it a blockchain technology? It's using the blockchain technology, but right. here's the thing: it's basically a new currency. 
Okay. It's effectively a new currency that's created. It's a basket of other currencies. <laughs> okay, okay. Right? That's being created, right. which then is digital and which can be divided into smaller pieces. Okay. And then you can train on those smaller pieces. Right, so okay. I, I know they're using crypto, but I feel they should just call it, you know, and, and I think they didn't call it digital currency because, you know, it might, you know, tip off some regulators and make, <laughs> make them very unhappy. It's not currency, honest. <laughs> so it's not currency, but it's actually really currency. Yeah, it's yeah. just another form of currency which is going to have an exchange rate with whatever currency through that wallet, right? Which kind of makes sense at some level. I'm, I, here's what I'm not sure about, man. In, in, my ignorance because uh, there's plenty of that going around for me. Um, why not just have a wallet? In, use PayPal, for example, and it doesn't matter who it is, but let's just say PayPal for now. I could put money in my PayPal account now and I could pay you if I wanted to. Why is that not a better solution? Or why is Libra proposed to be a better solution than just simply having a PayPal wallet or something similar? What, what's what's the key benefit? What am I missing? Exactly. You're not missing anything. So, oh, okay. <laughs> that was <laughs> so, a genuine question, by no, the way. <laughs> so you're not missing anything. So basically, for any part of the world where right. we can transact in digital money, whether it is you want to do it through PayPal or I right, want to do it right. through Apple Pay or you want to do it through Google Pay, and you can pay anyone using your digital money or your money, which is basically digital right, being right, transacted, right. Yep. there is no problem. Okay. It's actually not solving any problem. <laughs> So, except, except the problem that Facebook want to make more money. Yeah, so it's trying to solve two problems. So it it warns people mm. on Facebook's platforms, which is WhatsApp and things like that, and Instagram and so on, to actually spend using Libra or yep. basically using Libra via Calibre, so that people essentially are sticking around their system. There's a, you know you basically want people to have money in your currency. So that, you know, you can only spend that money there unless you actually transact it out of the uh, the wallet. That's number one. The, the It it can be useful for the unbanked, people who don't have banks, right. uh, you know. So if you wanted to pay pay someone um, a, a money who doesn't have a bank account, they could actually have a, a wallet on uh, Calibre and, and basically be paid. It's useful for places where there's high inflation. Okay. So it's you know where you, where if you had money in your own currency it's basically being you know <laughs> uh, becoming worthless day yep. by day by day. Yep. Uh, so it's a, it's helpful in those cases. But here's the problem I have with that: most of those problems that exist, whether it's you know unbanked problems or it is inflation, they mm. are very there's a very tight uh, socio and uh, socioeconomic and geopolitical reason behind it, right? right, right. It's unlikely those places are going to actually allow you to even. <laughs> so, there's a, so, so I know that, for example, right, right, right. Uh, this thing is not going to work. This thing is is a non-starter in India. So, so it's, it's, it's going to be banned in a number of countries from for, to begin with, mm. right? Uh, so I don't know what problem they're going to actually effectively solve. It feels a little bit like the euro too, in some sense, mate. Like if you think the way you just described it, as I'm as I'm listening to you talk, the idea of having one currency, you can convert your currency into it. It's accepted by everybody. It kind of just feels like another version of the euro, but on a, on a, on a kind of worldwide scale, and, it, and which brings, frankly, all the attendant issues. There, there's exactly. no, you know, and you talk about some of those countries that have got hyperinflation, and other issues. They're bigger problems than we can solve now. <laughs> exactly. Except that part of the pro, part, part of the part of the reality is that both fiscal and monetary policy, so taxing and and interest rates, actually are, can be brought to bear, hopefully, relatively expertly in some of those places to fix these problems. The euro, one of the euro's fundamental underpinning issues is the fact that there can't be separate monetary policies, in other words, separate interest rates by country, regardless of the circumstances. So, I mean, the Australian dollar floats wonderfully, and it's falling now because the Australian economy is weaker compared to the rest of the world. That actually supports our economy, gives our exporters a little more room, makes our pricing more competitive. Hopefully, actually, it's one of those, to use the economic term, automatic stabilizers. As the currency falls, it makes the Australian economy more um, uh, resilient, I suppose, or provides extra resilience to the economy. In a world where we're using the same currency, that kind of leg of the stool gets cut off entirely, right? Like, I get why people might think they want it. I think you want to be careful what you wish for, because at some level, 
some country, I mean, again, the Euro, right? Germany's a massive, massive winner. The Greeks and the Italians are, have, have suffered for years. And again, I don't want to get the Euro thing. I think Euro is probably actually a net positive for the states of Europe who spent the rest of the last few centuries at war with each other. But at, a, at some sort of level, we want to be a little bit careful what we wish for. It's not so bad using a PayPal or something else and having our own currencies to deal in. Absolutely. And and I think there's another thing. Another So there's the regulatory angle. There's the angle of you know the fiscal policy and the monetary policies and things like that. And then then the final thing is that there's also the um, you know the money laundering aspect of this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you actually know money is going to whom and how right, and right. so on and so forth? So this is opening such a big can of worms. Well, we talked about after paying the know your customer requirement just yeah. last week. If you all of a sudden let yeah. Facebook say, well, <laughs> you, people can transfer X tens of thousands of dollars to, to some through some sort of Facebook yeah. account. From me to you to some mafia don in Italy yeah. to some arms dealer in Russia and then back to me. It's you know it's it's kind of hard to not that I have any relationship with arms dealers in Russia just for the record. For anyone from ASIC who's listening, I promise I don't know a single Russian arms dealer. I couldn't speak a single word of Russian. I was I was you know starting to worry about your connections. Here. <laughs> I, got, I got myself in trouble, then, didn't I? <laughs> back out of that trouble. So mate, uh, look, well let's so let's separate this. I, I'm going to ask you a couple. Of, give me some a lightning round of questions. Mm. If you were a betting man. Are you bullish or bearish on cryptocurrency as a concept? Not Libra specifically, cryptocurrency more broadly. Uh, I think cryptocurrencies have limited use cases. That's my current thinking. Okay. I, I think digital currency as such makes sense, but you know that that you could make you could make it available in Australia. Like if RBA wanted, everything could be digital, right? And, and we could just have digital and Australian dollars. Kind of is, and they're already like, there. I mean, I, I've got some money in my wallet. I think I took the last money out of the cash two months ago out of the ATM. Other than that, my, my currency is effectively digital, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are you bullish or bearish on Libra or Calibra, the Facebook JV? I am going to call this the flop bucks. <laughs> flop bucks, I love it. Yeah. All right, more, more problems for Mark Zuckerberg. Dockers, you heard it here for your first fools. Stay away from Libra. It's a flop. Doc says so. That's good enough for me. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we've got to do at least one bit of Australian company news, and, and that company news is the never-ending saga. I, I, I almost I feel, gonna... like, I feel like starting to laugh, but I, I you know... I know, I, I know. You, you know, I... I was going to laugh, but then I actually met someone um, um, at a gym, and uh, they told me about the amount of money they've lost on that one company. Oh, dear. It, it right. is just, yeah. So, so it's actually, I'm not sure which one. We've got two stories here we're going to talk about. I was going to talk about AJ on Vocus. You're talking about AMP here? So oh, clear. okay, yeah, I guess. You're talking about AMP? <laughs> yeah, I was let's, talking about right, that. Let, let's speak of speaking never-ending sagas. Let's do the AMP <laughs> one first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, AMP. So yeah, we shouldn't really mate, laugh, you know. Well, that's the thing, right? It's it's it's, it's yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when you're an investor, you kind of think to yourself, "How is it possible that such and such a business can lose?" So-? I sent just another example of this, where it has just been absolutely belted. The market cap is tiny now, and you kind of think, "How is it possible for someone to screw up a fundamentally kind of basic business to such a large degree that I sent you has lost 95% of its value. AMP has probably lost 95% of its value AM, as well. But AMP was a blue chip. I mean, I, well, that's right. completely different, right? I mean, Accenture was probably a growth story and a small growth story, right? I mean, Yeah, this, true. But, uh, but both, I, both AMP, those businesses had, should have had some sort of, if you uh, provide media monitoring services or banking and financial management services, how the hell do you manage to lose so much money? I, I know. But AMP must have been in so many portfolios because it's, you know, like a steady blue chip. I yeah. mean, you know, the paying dividends. Mate, and, oh. and, and way back in the day, I, yeah, I mean, I you know, my old man, actually both my parents used to work at the AMP back, it was called the AMP back years ago when BHP was called the BHP as well. Uh, we had a lot of the companies. We don't have so many anymore. Um, AMP was the 
only national, maybe other Commonwealth Bank, financial services business. It should have absolutely ridden the wave of superannuation of financial reform and deregulation to the moon. It should be our largest company in the ASX right now if it had been run well. And it's not even that it's been run badly. It's been run atrociously over the last 10 years. But let's... Let's not, too, let's not put too much fuel on the fire, mate, but what's the latest problem? So um, I think ASIC is seeking only $36 million for what they call insurance churning. So basically, you get people to churn from one churn base as a move from one insurance to another because mm-hmm. the advisors get paid uh, more fees. And God, maybe, I had an industry sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just miserable. They, they probably get moved to products that they actually don't need or don't <sighs> have the features that they need. Uh, yeah, again. Anyways, I think it's, just, it's a great way to make money, right? If you, if you can get a trail commission of a couple of, of 1%, or you can actually t- change someone to a new policy and get 2% up front, well, why wouldn't you do it if you're an advisor? Well, yeah. the answer was you wouldn't do it because you're a decent person. But I guess if you want to feed the family and that's what the boss is telling you to do, I guess you're incentivized to churn people through policies well, they don't yeah. need. You know, financial incentives actually can be a big driver for what people do, right? I oh, mean, they are. Absolutely. They are a huge driver. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't just point blank at say that you know mm. the people who did it are to blame, but I think the rules and regulations around it are also to blame. Right. I, that's a very, very good point. And you know what is, so someone said, this again, another tangent, because that's what we do on this show. Uh, but someone came out during the week and mentioned to me that Commonwealth Bank is now back to pre-Royal Commission levels, share price-wise. And I thought, you know what? That's about right, because the franking problem's gone away. The Royal Commission, for all of for all of the commissioner's um, really, really uh, tough questioning, uh, the council assisting's tough questioning, it's gone to nothing. Like it has literally come. I, I mean, yes, the kind of they're flogging off their wealth management businesses. I guess that's something, but really, like, who's who's actually feeling any pain from this royal commission? What's changed? No wonder investors don't care. It's it's as if the royal commission didn't happen, isn't it? Well, some of you know some small businesses, I think, um, have been hit. I mean, AMP has been hit, right? I mean, and and has you know their the pains have become bigger <laughs> over time. But yeah, I mean, Just I agree. Miserable. I mean, the, uh, I think it it seemed like a big thing that. You know, became maybe a small thing in mm. some sense, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the other side and say, but some some improvement is better than no improvement, right? At least the wealth management aspect oh, and separating dear. it out is yeah, is is a positive. I suppose. Okay. <laughs> Just uh, anyway, uh, all this money and time and effort and grief spent on the Royal Commission, and we got kind of a bit of a wet lettuce. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I'm going to save you the pain of the AGL Vocus story. Suffice it to say that AGL walked away from Vocus, unsurprisingly. Vocus, maybe fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, lucky. Uh, the perennial bridesmaid always being left at the altar. Uh, happened yet again during the week, and that's probably about as much as we need to say. Mate, I want to move on to our mailbag instead, because that's much more interesting than I was going to, I was, I was going to say that we can make a movie, Runaway Bride, with, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with Vocus. That is brilliant. I love that. Poor Vocus. Poor Vocus. I talk about, again, talk about Rooster to Feather Duster, right? One of the best <laughs> stocks on the ASX, all that kind of wonderful stuff for a little while. Yeah. Dear, oh dear. All right, mate. I want to, oh no. <laughs> I, I was going to say I want to move on to the mailbag. Then I realized what my first question is. Now I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> oh, I guess I have to. All right. Question from Rory a couple of weeks ago. He says, uh, G'day, Scott and Doc. As always, love the podcast. Good man, Rory. <laughs> I'm reminded that one of our listeners last week called us the epitome of self-directed fun financial education. That was awesome. I just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, it wasn't Rory, but uh, Rory, lift your game, mate. Saying I love the podcast, not enough anymore. You've been surpassed by other people. All right. Uh, makes my Friday commute more entertaining and informative. He must be listening to something else as well as us, but that's okay. Uh, now, Rory says, as a Tesla, oh God, as a Tesla fan, I'd love to hear Doc's, 
Why are you only want Doc's thoughts, Rory? I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure you want my thoughts as well, but apparently you've asked for Doc's thoughts. I'll, I'll let him have this one. Uh, I'd love to hear Doc's thoughts on the Tesla share price over the last six months and what's causing it. Cheers. He attaches a tweet from the Spectator Index, uh, which shows a pretty solid tale of woe from Tesla's stock price. Every month or so, he's kind of listed a price, or the Spectator's listed a price of the price kind of falling and falling and falling and falling. It's been a pretty tough ride from $376 on the 13th of December to it was 205 bucks when this tweet was sent through. I think it's probably up a little bit since then. Uh, but fair question for those who either own Tesla shares or who care about the Tesla share price. It's been a tough, tough, tough time to be a Tesla shareholder. Doc, I know you are one, and so I don't take any joy in that as much as we have a bit of fun. Um, no one likes to see anyone else losing some money. What's going on with Tesla, mate? Is there something fundamentally broken here? Is it the investor sentiment that's changing? Are there some challenges for the business? Uh, what's What's the Tesla problem? Okay, so I'll try to make this short. But basically, you know, Tesla is one of those companies which has got pretty divided opinion. You've either got really, there's nobody, actually, there's nobody in the middle. <laughs> They've got people on the very bearish side who think Tesla is going bankrupt. And then there are people on the bullish side with price targets at $4,000, right? Um, so I think that if I had to nut it down, I think a couple of things. Um, as Tesla's Q1, so first quarter of uh, of the 2019, the deliveries were uh, kind of underwhelming. Mm. And that stoked a lot of talk about... So Q4 was awesome. They delivered like close to like 90,000 vehicles. And then in Q1, it went down to like something like 65,000 or something. I'm just making up those numbers, but it was a big drop relative right. to Q4. Then people, what people were talking about was that, you know, is the numbers going down because the... Uh, the tax credit that the U.S. government has for electric vehicles that got cu- that was going to get cut in half at the end of December, which is why there was a lot of demand pulled forward into Q4, right? and then Q1 was slow. So the question really has been that you know is there demand? Is there enough demand for Tesla cars to say Tesla to sell half a million cars each year? Right, uh, Q1 being low on the number of deliveries actually pushed the price. You know that really raised questions about whether or not Tesla can deliver, right, uh, right, right. It, it, whether or not there's enough demand for those cars at that price point that they're selling. Mm. Tesla made made a number of pricing changes, did some price cuts and things like that. Right, then I think that's been the biggest driver. Then Tesla did a capital raise, you know, saying that they're not going to raise capital and then raising capital, okay. um, and, and so on to bulk up their balance sheet. Um, so here's what I think about it. Over the last year, um, the Model 3, as, using it as an example, the Model 3 has... Which is its cheapest car. Which is its cheapest car, which is not really cheap, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's cheapest not, car. Yeah, but it, it's, it basically competes in the entry-level luxury segment. Mm-hmm. The Model 3 in the US has sold more, more than, I think, the combined of the other top brands in that segment. So more than, I think, Mercedes, wow. more than uh, Lexus, and more than BMW. So it's popular amongst a particular cohort of buyers. So it's sold more than those combined. Wow. Okay. And it's the number one selling car, not just the number one selling EV in that category. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, a lot of people would say that's demand pulled forward. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's the case. But, you know, what, what I tell people is that it's hardly just started. It's just started delivering to Europe. And part of the problem for Q1 was that they were delivering to Europe. So they had cars in transit and things like that. And also, you right, remember, right. you have to, you know, you have to, every time you change from selling the cars from the US to the Europe, every every region has its own requirements, right? Small changes, small changes in terms of, you know, how you put the lights on and what stickers you put on have yeah, impact yeah. Yeah. for a company like Tesla. Um, the the other thing that happened is that um, there was some confusion with, with Panasonic, which supplies the battery. So there was... There's talk that Panasonic has put 32 gigawatt hours of capacity. Right. 
Um, if you c compute that into the number of cars you should be able to produce, the Tesla was actually not producing this many number of cars. And then people okay. basically said, well, they, you, you know, you have the ability to produce the batteries. Batteries are not your limiting factor. Right. Why aren't you producing enough cars? The, the, the fact is all these people don't understand that that's the peak capacity and you, right. know, and you don't really get the peak capacity for a while. You, you know, you're running <laughs> yeah, at like yeah. 70% of that capacity. Of course. So t Tesla is basically selling. So I don't think there's any demand problem. Tesla is basically selling all the number of cars that it can sell. It okay. does have a production problem that it can't, it's not scaling as fast as it should be. And I will say a couple of things here. Uh, now that we have seen some traditional um, you know, OEMs, mm -hmm. original equipment manufacturers producing these cars, we now know that it is actually a hard thing to do. So um, right, okay. Tesla's 2012 Model S still has the best battery. It's still ahead of the Audi e-tron. Wow, okay. Right? So the three best batteries in terms yeah, yeah. of range are still Tesla cars wow. by a margin. Right. Right? And um, Because the tech is just so hard to... Just the tech is just so right, hard, right, right. right? So I mean, so I think uh, from a consumer point of view, um, you know, Tesla continues to woe people. Uh, it does have uh, production challenges, mm -hmm. and you know, I just I still feel very good about the stock. Um, again, it's one of our larger holdings, and I think um, I think in technology, I, I say this often. I say in technology, it's hard to get a two-year lead. Yep. If you have a seven-year lead, yeah, right, that's right. unseen. The yeah, last yeah. time I'd seen a seven-year lead was with Amazon Web Services before credible competition shows up. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, we'll see. So fair to say, still a high risk company, but it's the one you feel pretty good about. Yeah, I think it's high risk to some extent because it's run by Elon Musk. Because of, you know <laughs> he he runs it very close to the cliff. Yeah, um, he runs it like a private company, effectively. Right, he runs it like a private company, which is not necessarily a terrible thing, except it's not what many in the markets are used to. Yeah, and and I think Q two by all the leaks that have come out now suggests that Q two is going to be a blockbuster Q two. So that that should put to rest um, a lot of the demand questions. They've started right. delivering to Europe. They're delivering to UK. They're going to start delivering to Australia in August. Um, hey, yeah, hey. so that, that's going to be good. Looking forward to uh, seeing the first one on our roads. I see a few around, so that's pretty that's pretty cool. Mate, that's all we've got time for today. But before we do wrap up, as I want to say from time to time, don't forget you can subscribe to the AAA Motley Full Money podcast through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. You're probably even listening to it while you're driving a Tesla. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. We could do with a little bit of extra listenership, and I'm sure there's people who might otherwise listen to us. Look, if you're listening to us, fair chance you're doing it because, well, some of you are suffering your better half, maybe in a car somewhere or something else, but most of you are doing this by choice. You obviously get something out of it, and if you do, we'd like you to pass it on to other people as well because, frankly, who couldn't do a little more foolishness in their lives? Certainly not us. I'm sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too, as I'm like to say. Don't forget, you can also get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.